Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete Callender of the show, and uh, this is the Speaker of the North Carolina House. Tim Moore, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you? Thanks, Pete. Great to be with you. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Re- uh, recovering from a bit of, uh, I don't know what it was, some kind of bug that got me. But, uh, yeah, doing fine, doing fine. So uh, you're also a candidate for Congress. So how is, uh, how's the campaign trail going? You know, it's going really well. We've been out uh, knocking doors, campaigning door-to-door to folks, and, uh, of course, sending mail and uh, getting ready to go up on TV and radio. Of course, we've already been on radio. We're going to be up on TV soon, and uh, it's going really well. And uh, getting to this this district's big. The uh, From the farthest end in Ballantyne all the way up to what's called Jonas Ridge, which is in far north Burke County, is about a two-hour and 15-hour drive, 15 drive, so... Uh, you know, two hour, 15 minutes, uh, a lot of ground to cover, but meeting a lot of neat folks and, uh, feeling really good about the race. So what are you hearing, uh, as sort of the most animating issues among constituents? Well, I really have been finding that, that talking, the, the biggest issue I'm hearing from most folks is the border hmm. and this, just the flow of folks coming across illegally, the flow of these dangerous drugs that are coming into our communities here and killing people on a daily basis. Uh, those are the biggest things that I'm, that I'm hearing about from folks when we're, uh, when we're talking. But that and then just kind of seeing the absolute mismanagement in Washington, D.C. And what's been neat to talk to folks about is to compare that to where we've turned things around in Raleigh, where we've cut spending, lowered taxes, uh, banned sanctuary cities, uh, mandated that men play men's sports, not women's sports. You know, common sense things. And to compare with the absolute craziness of Washington, and so uh, that's been the uh, a lot of the conversation with folks, and uh, and I think that's why we're doing so well. So I saw the Charlotte City Council; uh, they have their public safety committee, and they voted this week three to two to restore criminal penalties for eight ordinances uh, that I guess the criminal penalties went away. And I'm trying to remember because uh, I, I believe I, I, I talked about it when it happened in Raleigh, but. Did, there was some sort of a change, right, that came out of, at the state level that then kind of took all these ordinances off the books at the local level, and so then the cities, municipalities had to go back and put them back on the books. Is that is that what happened? It, what happened was each city and each county had to specifically vote whether those ordinances would be subject to criminal enforcement. And the reason we did, the reason we we made that change in law was where you had folks who were literally being criminally prosecuted feet for like flying a flag on their house in violation of some sort of goofy ordinance. Uh, and, and folks are like, wait a minute, that's too much. And so we, we set it up and equipped it in a way where there would be additional scrutiny. Uh, but we certainly believe that these noise ordinances and things that, that were like where somebody's coming through at three in the morning and making a lot of noise or, or whatever, that, that ought to be subject to a criminal prosecution because you're substantially interfering with the rights of others. But I'll tell you, the big issue that, that we need to worry about here in Charlotte 
is just crime in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting out of hand. We, we hear more and more stories of, uh, of shootings and robberies and break-ins. I mean, the numbers are staggering. And, and actually, I'm having a meeting later today, uh, Tart Bakari and I are meeting with some folks, including some family members from victims of crime, about things that, that we're looking at doing in Raleigh and just want to know why things are just so bad, particularly uh, here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, there's no excuse for it. Well, but I remember seeing these debates um, in the legislature. I'm, uh, I'm remembering uh, Abe Jones and his comments uh, in support of the increased penalties for the rioting and the injuring cops during a riot and that sort of thing. And there's this, yep. uh, like these, this is all downstream of the policy choices that get made. Right. And uh, when people uh, adopt these policy positions of, you know, I don't want to say soft on crime, but essentially you know, defund the police and uh, we want, you know, cashless bail and all of this, that mm-hmm. when you, when you do those quote reforms, these are the downstream effects and people, I mean, you're a lawyer as well. So, you know, this is, this is what you're expecting to see. No. You know, what, and this is what I tell people, Pete, the, the, the criminal laws in terms of robbery and you know, carjacking and all these things, all these crimes that are happening are the same across the Catawba river and Gaston County and over in Cleveland where I live as they are in Mecklenburg County. All right. So why do you have so much repeat offenders? Why do you have folks getting out of jail, not serving prison time for offenses here that they would in those other counties? Is it because it's a larger county? No, it's not. The reason, one of the big reasons and one of the big problems that we're going to deal with is the fact that folks are being turned loose on either low bonds or cashless bonds, as you just mentioned, who should be, who should be sitting their tails in jail. They should not be on the streets. And, and the fact that it is such a revolving door of, of people who are being charged with a crime and then you know, not even given a slap on the wrist, it cut loose and then sent back down the street where they can continue to be a menace to society is just unacceptable. And, and that's, and that's got to stop. And so if it's not going to be corrected here uh, you know, through with the judges and the magistrates, then we're going to find ways through state law to, to, to make it get correct. So I'm glad you mentioned the magistrates because magistrates I've heard will say things like, look, we're all we're supposed to do in setting the bond is to ensure that they show up to court. That's all that the bond is supposed to do. It can't be used as like a punishment before a sentence is given. Right. So how do you. No, how, that, but it, OK, but, but but that's but that's patently wrong. They, they, they actually know they are supposed to factor in the yes, flight risk. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things, but also the risk to society. Is this person such a such an outlaw or such a criminal that they pose a risk awaiting pre-tra- awaiting their, their their jail sentence? That's why you don't let murderers and rapists, at least you shouldn't, uh, back out on the street because you yeah they haven't been convicted, they're presumed innocent. We get all that, but there's a you know common sense. This person's dangerous, right? They they don't need to be back out there. And if you have someone who's over and over committing serious crimes, I'm not talking about a little petty stuff. I mean serious crimes. You're robbing people, assaulting people. Why in the world would you think it's a good idea? Would a magistrate think it's a good idea that they go right back on the street? Because here's what happens: then these, you know, then the the police officers are having to, you know, subject themselves to danger, going apprehend them, going take them, bring them in, only to see these folks get turned loose. And over a while, after a while, imagine what that does 
to the morale for the men and women in law enforcement who are putting themselves on the line every day to make the street safer, only to see that, you know, criminal gets charged and they're back out on the street, you know, an hour later. It's not right. So how then do you get at this? I've heard people uh, suggest um, recalls or impeachment uh, mechanisms. How do you hold people like, you know, uh, uh, judges or magistrates or the district attorney? Like, how do you hold them accountable for this kind of behavior, knowing that, you know, Mecklenburg is now a very blue county? You don't I don't even think there are any Republican judges in Mecklenburg County at this point. Well, we'll tell you that I, I have actually heard a lot of frustration from the district attorney's office that they are very that they're very frustrated that they're seeing folks get charged and get released on these low to no bonds. I, I, so I think they're they're looking to be part of the solution and they're frustrated with what's happening. Uh, in terms of judges, look, these judges are up for election, and, and I think voters need to know what's happening. But, you know, with magistrates, they're not elected. They're hired. Right. Uh, they're appointed by judges to, to serve, and I think there needs to be accountability there. But one, some of the things that we can do uh, would be to mandate, in certain cases, certain restrictions before bond can be made. And, like, we did that, for example, on the rioting bill, right? We put in provisions. And that's not new. That's something that's done routinely in other cases, domestic violence, uh, other kinds of offenses where there's a recognized risk that a person should not be just getting some little unsecured bond and cut back loose on the street. And I think you look at something where if it's if it's like a repeat offender who's coming in, let's say they have charges they're already facing and then they've been brought in and charged with something else. I mean, that, that first bond that they're on ought to be revoked, right? Because part of a bond condition is not only that you show up for your court date, but it's that you not violate any laws while you're on release. So when someone commits another crime, I mean, that's, that should, that's a no brainer, right? They should be in jail. Yeah. So, all right. So you're meeting today uh, with uh, Tark Bakari, Charlotte city councilman who the other day, um, and we spoke with him last week, I think about this very thing where he wants to get this task force, uh, talking uh, and uh, and and get people at the state level and the local level and bring all these different parties together. So, and it, it sounds like that's what you're meeting him, and this is part of that effort. That's right. Right, we're having a meeting today. This is our our initial meeting. We've been having some conversations on this for for a while, and and I think with some of the coverage recently with the uh, shooting that happened uptown, I guess a week or two ago, and just the increases in crime. I mean, you hear people. Yeah, I, I mean, I live in Kings Mountain, right? I'm 30 minutes away, so and we, I'm in Charlotte all the time. Mm-hmm. And and you really can, for those who go uptown a lot, you you start sensing a different vibe. It doesn't feel as safe as maybe it used to, and 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 that's kind of been, but that's not something that happened overnight. That's something that happened that has happened over some time. But you know what? It can be fixed. It can be fixed. You you take the criminals off the streets. Yeah. Uh- Speaker Moore, I appreciate your time. Uh, Tim Moore, Speaker of the North Carolina House, also a candidate for uh, the 14th Congressional District. uh, That includes large portions of Mecklenburg County and points west as well. Thanks so much for your time. Safe travels to you, and I hope you have a productive meeting and come up with lots of solutions for us. (laughs) We'd appreciate it. Good to be with you. All right, take care, sir. Uh, Reminder, January 31st, that's a Wednesday at 7 o'clock, Wingate University's Bat Center. a debate moderated by Bo and Beth and questions uh, for all of the candidates coming from all of the folks here at WBT, like Vince and Brett and Mark and Brett and me. Um, 
It's all part of the uh, WBT North Carolina 8th Congressional District Republican primary debate. So if you'd like to come, go to WBT.com for the details and reserve your free ticket. And uh, thanks again to Wingate University. Let me go to the phones here and get Jerry on. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. Um, the, just a, a thought. I'd be impressed if the folks up in Raleigh somehow were able to uh, put into law a, crim- uh, a civil liability, maybe or even a criminal liability, for the judges who are allowing these criminals to walk free. Mm. I, I wonder whether that might make them think twice about the penalties that they or the, the sentences that they hand out uh, if they could be on the line for future, you know, assaults or murders that they commit uh, and have some liability in it. Also, right. just as an aside, Pete, I think for anybody who is um, looking to change careers, gosh, if you're young enough and can get into a trade, that is the smartest thing that you can do these days. Mm, yeah. No, we, we talk a lot about that. It's, uh, I agree. It's, uh, you, people make a really good living um, yes. working with their hands, and they're becoming more and more valuable as fewer and fewer people know how to do it. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's right. interesting. Civil liability for, and I, I guess, like, my, like, the first step is the, is the, the bail, right? The setting of the bond and all of that, um, and getting some of those repeat, repeat, repeat offenders off the streets while they await trial, you know? But I think we also have, uh, we have a system and we have a, a sheriff also, like, they're not, like, they, they, they're not big fans of keeping people at the jail. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I messaged you about that. I mean, that kind of ties into my my message the other day about Spencer Mer- Merriweather. Who, whoever the whoever the hiccups are in the system, slap them with liability. Yeah, you know, if it's the magistrate and you let somebody walk, and then they go and you know beat the hell out of somebody or murder some God forbid. If your if your tuchus is on the line, you're going to think twice. Hopefully. Yeah, no, that's a good point, uh, Jerry. I appreciate the call. Thanks, Pete. All right, take care. Yeah, thanks. Um, Civil liability. I don't know about the criminal liability uh, aspect, but yeah, allow allow victims to sue for your poor decision to put somebody back out on the street. Yeah, I don't know. That's it. Something to kick around. We'll send it over to Tark Bakari and uh, Speaker Moore and their task force. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com and on Twitter at Pete Callender. Let's go back to the phones here and get David on. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Pete. I really enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. Appreciate uh, it. I agree with the woman earlier on civil penalties, like $1,500 of ankle bracelet cut off, $1,500 of crime for each crime committed, but I think we should go further with these judges. If they have five folks in a year that screw up, they lose their job. 
Yeah, so that's why I don't know if we have recall ability um, in. I don't think I, I'm pretty sure we, we we don't do recalls in North Carolina. I, I'm like 99 percent sure. Recall, recall, fire them. Well, but if they're no elected, recall, posi- if you're talking about judges, those are the judges are elected positions, and so the only way to fire them would be to vote them out, unless there is some sort of uh, mechanism that's put in place, sort of like an impeachment mechanism. If they're a magistrate, then they can get fired, but they're usually hired by the judges uh, the, or the clerk of court, I forget, or the administrator of the court. I forget who does the hiring of the magistrates. But those are, yeah, those people are hired. And so, you, uh, yeah, I mean, theoretically, you could fire them. You just have to have the will to do so, you know? I would. Put me in charge. Well, you should, you should try gone, to. buddy. Yeah, you should try to run for the, uh, the judges' uh, offices then or something. I don't have a law degree. <laughs> I don't know if you need a well. Maybe you do nowadays. I don't know if you ha- you need to have a law degree uh, to be a judge. I'm not sure. Maybe. Well, you sure should. You should. I agree. You should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. I appreciate the call. Yeah, thanks. Uh, let me go over and get Kevin on. Hello, Kevin. Welcome to the program. How you doing, Pete? Hey, I'm good. Um, What's back up? To that, it's excellent. Back to that original caller uh, about you know having a record, why don't they have the Republicans press to have a report card for each judge or magistrate and to determine how many people they let go went back into the system? I mean, you can't you can't convince anybody without the science and data. That's true. So you show which judges have the most amount of people that they release back to back to uh, criminal activity. At least you could take their own kind and show them how bad their their leadership is. Right. So there are actually stats that are collected. Um, I remember seeing some of these, um, I want to say about two years ago. You can get, uh, through the Freedom of Information requests, you can get the data on individual courtrooms, individual judges, and the sentences that they hand down. I don't know if they keep the why data. Why don't they make it a report card that you have to give out? Like, like, why do you have to pull the data? Why isn't it something that's sent out like a report card of, of how you voted on a certain topic? Right, well... Why couldn't they have a report card created uh, for the public to see outright rather than having to foil the information? Right. No, it's a good... Uh, yeah, create a report card. And, and I know that the data exists for at least the judges. I don't know about magistrates, but I know they do data collection on the sentencing side of stuff. I don't know if, um, I'm not sure if they do the the, uh, the data collection for, like, bail, you know, and, and when people have their first uh, run-in with the magistrate, do they collect that data? I, I'm not sure. But, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's an idea. That's an idea. Um, and, of course, you know, they'll, they'll complain. They'll say, we don't have the resources to do it. I'm sure they'll, you know, throw up the, you know, we need more... Well, Personnel. you give up all the resources going after people with guns and things like that, you know, <laughs> redirect. Yeah. Well, yeah. And see, well, here's the other thing. If you, make, if you make it harder to turn people loose, turn criminals loose, repeat, repeat offenders, that means you're going to need more jail space. And there are a lot of people that are invested in the uh, and, and, and have their um, incentives built around the the. Uh, decarceration activists, right? People who want to see yeah. jail reform, quote unquote. And what they mean by that is fewer people in jail. And, and and all they see is like, here's the number of people that are in jail. We want to reduce that number rather than saying, okay, but should they be in jail? 
right? Should some of these people with the crimes that they've committed and the records that they have, should they be in jail? Um, and you've got a lot well, of people in the Democrat Trump Party that are in, that, that are influenced by a certain element of their base that say, no, there shouldn't be really any jails. Uh, what happened to three strikes laws? I mean, why, why can't it be that if you have three violent offenses, why are you back out on the street? Mm-hmm. That's not a matter of who deserves to be in jail more. That's a matter of common sense. Yeah. So I and so I like the idea of the three strikes law. It makes sense. But one of the real world ramifications was that when people know that they are on their third strike, they engage in even more egregious behavior in order to avoid being apprehended, which makes sense. Also, you have statistics that show that. Yeah, there was. I remember reading it years ago in California when they first implemented it was that the people. Why? But I think the study was debunked. Oh, okay. Well, that might that, that might have been the case. I just remember that being one of the um, one of the arguments against it was that when people know that it's their third strike, they're they're less likely to go willingly to get apprehended. You know, not that they well, engage. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I would have to I would have to double check it. Kevin, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks for uh, for the chat. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I got the idea. I mean, I, I wrote down the idea. Create a report card uh, for uh, judges. I'm gonna write and magistrates. And I'm going to send it over to uh, to Tark Bakari. And then you got the civil liability one there. Okay, so we got two ideas. See that? Because you know me. I'm all about solutions. All right. Um, so uh, this is from Dean who says, uh, judges don't need a law degree, just a degree in common sense. There you go. That's, uh, do they hand those out? Um, then there's this. The uh, TSA Assistant Federal Security Director. TSA Assistant Federal Security Director. Maxine McNamanaman. Man, 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 man. McNamanaman, man. There's wait. All right. It, m- Maxine M C M A N A M A N. McManaman. McMan- Maxine McManaman. Gosh, that's a tongue twister. Um, was detained in Atlanta by U.S. Customs and Border Protection and has been arrested after forging a quick claim deed to exploit a family member with dementia. Maxine McManaman, the assistant federal security director of the TSA, was taken into custody after she got off a plane in Atlanta uh, on December 28th. Um, Port St. Lucie Police Department put out this in Florida, put out a Facebook a statement on Facebook. Uh, it was determined that the this dementia patient, this uh, relative with dementia, uh, could not have signed the document on the date that a quick claim is like to turn over the property. They were, they, they were trying to steal this person's property. And a quick claim is like, I don't have any more claim on this property. I turn it over to these other people. And the person that, that, she and this other fellow that she was working with did it to um, has dementia and they were not they were they were not present in Florida at the time. They were in Atlanta. So they could not they could not have done anything except falsify it. So this is the TSA assistant federal security director. Attempted to use quick claim deed to transfer the home of an elderly relative with dementia to her and her conspirator. Uh, she has been working for the TSA for 21 years. Oh gosh, so she got in right as they uh, right at the ground floor. 
right? When, right when they set up the whole TSA in 2001. Thank you, George W. Bush. Couldn't have done all that security theater without you. And uh, so there you go. She she's yeah, she's one of the OGs. Um, the other guy, the guy that she got popped with, um, what's his name here? Kramer's or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, Chambers. He has been arrested in Port St. Lucie with counts of elder abuse, forgery, and simple neglect of an elderly person. He is out on bond, and he is also an immigrant from Jamaica. So many symptoms of what's wrong with our system in that one story. 704-570-1110. I'm probably not going to have time to take another call. So I'll just read some messages. I got a bunch of emails here to Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. This one is from Thomas. Uh, Pete, I caught only part of your segment about the Gen Z and working. I missed it because I was working. My father taught us to get into a career in an industry that helps build America. Once I graduated from college, I did just that. Ten years ago, I retired from a career that allowed me to continually grow and earn to grow and learn, I guess, working for a Fortune 50 corporation. It was demanding, challenging, kept me on my toes every day, and when opportunity arose, I stepped up and took positions of more responsibility. I started at the bottom, but was willing to grow my career over time. Everyone has to start someplace, usually at the bottom, and that's usually where you belong. But starting at the bottom, as you know, the only way is up. The test is, how bad do you want it? Happy New Year. Great shows. Welcome back. Thanks. Thank you, Thomas, to you as well. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, this was the in the second hour of the program. We played the clip from the uh, the girl who, you know, did a TikTok video. She's Generation Z. And, you know, she's like, I work 40 hours a week, five days a week. Or, yeah, 40 hours, five day work week. And I don't make enough money to afford my own place. And... Like uh, for people like when I started, I had roommates, I had roommates in college and I worked when I was in college and I had multiple jobs out of college. My, when I was my first radio job where I was doing work on the air, um, in Rock Hill and I was working 70 hour work weeks for $12,000 a year. And that was 98. Yeah, that was 1998. And no, $12,000 a year didn't get you very much back then either. And then they made a big deal. They gave me a 30% pay raise. So it bumped me up to 15000 a year. And I was doing triple split shifts. I would work the early morning, do the morning show. I would go home. I'd sleep for a couple hours. I'd come back in. I would do an afternoon shift. For a couple hours, I would go home, sleep for a couple hours. I would go back out and cover government meetings and get everything ready for the next day's program in the morning. Triple split shift. And then I got here. And when I worked here, I never, when I was full-time here, because I started part-time, and I was part-timer here making more money than I was as a full-timer down in Rock Hill. Then... Um, when I uh, become a reporter here at WBT, I did that for almost a decade, and I never worked a 40-hour work week, ever. When I met my wife, she had credit card debt. 
Oh, and by the way, yes, I worked myself out of debt. Got myself out of the debt that I had accumulated as well. Anyway, uh, and Christy and I, when we first started dating, she went and got a second job working at a, uh, a shoe store in the evenings. She was a paralegal, but she needed extra income because she could not afford the house that she had on her own. So she had to get a second job. Um, all right. So uh, let's see here. This is from Pete. I think hi. Pete says, I think high cash bail is still the clubhouse winner for the current crime problems in Charlotte. In other news, the big news is that downtown uptown Charlotte is 20 percent empty. That is a problem. Another writer said 17 years to get downtown back to full occupancy. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, this is, um, yeah, that's a huge problem. I've been tracking that story. We started tracking it last year. The Charlotte Ledger's been doing a lot of good work on that too. Um, Joseph says, in the 60s, my parents bought their house for three times my dad's yearly salary. It's now valued at half a million dollars. Three times my annual salary would barely buy a shack, and I make pretty decent money. Housing is the basis of the of, of an economy, and housing is way out of whack with salaries. Immigration, deficit spending, and government propping up demand by underwriting mortgages has made home ownership almost impossible for anybody just starting out. Uh, Six dollars in 1983 is worth nine, is over nineteen dollars in today's money. And Tony wants to know who Gen Z will blame. When all of the old folks are finally gone. <laughs> I don't know. Well, look, and part of this, like, is is it the generational normal thing to do is to blame the generations before you and to mock the ones that come after you. Lord knows I do it. So, all right. Um, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for hanging out. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>